But here's a question I have for you, and it's just kind of an open-ended question. We don't normally do interactive sermons, but I thought we could start off this morning because we're going to do some fun stuff up here. Um, what character quality of God really ministered to you or helped you make it through COVID? Okay, through that whole experience, through the last two years, um, what character of God did you cling to, helped you, um, shaped you? Um, and anybody want to just share? You could just kind of yell out some different ones. His sovereignty. Amen. His sovereignty. Yeah. Grace. His grace. Yes. Amen. His presence. What character of God has enabled you to make it? What did you cling to? Unconditional love. Amen. His faithfulness, yeah. Yeah. His truth, yeah. You know, we're going to look today at sovereignty and truth, but there's so many things. I want you to open your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 2. And uh, even if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Today would be a good day to follow along. Uh, if you have uh, your, phone on the bi- uh, your Bible on the phone, that would be a good day. We're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive here today. I'm going to warn you, we don't normally do this. This is one of the more challenging messages that, I, uh, have, uh, that God put on my heart to share and to prepare for. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been talking about the Beatitudes in the last couple weeks, really talking about persecution and going through difficult times for the sake of Christ. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Dell uh, talked about the credit scenes at the end of a movie. The movie ends, and then all of a sudden, the, uh, a, a scene comes up of what's coming in the future. And last week, we looked at Daniel 3 and, and looked at um, you know, the idea of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and the three Mash- Meshach uh, Shadrach and Abednego is taking that stand in the fire. And uh, today we're going to go forward to, to Babylon in the future, which uh, Babylon is really not a city as much in the Bible as it is a, a, a world system that is against God. And we're going to look at something that's coming in the future, uh, particularly uh, the Antichrist. And I don't know where you, where you land on end times or prophecy um, but uh, second, the, the book of Thessalonians is really uh, very concrete. Uh, it's not quite as symbolic as, as Revelation. And so I think Paul is, is very specific here in kind of opening up uh, some things to us that are, uh, that are so, uh, that are quite amazing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through the passage. And we're going to read the whole chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2. And I know, uh, you might, you know you might need a little breather here and there, but I'm, I'm going to walk through it then after I pray, after I, uh, after I read it and after I pray, okay? So if you could turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 5, 
Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort you, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you are the truth. God, if it wasn't for your grace, Lord, we wouldn't even be able to be here today. Lord, we don't deserve anything. We don't even deserve life, but you gave it to us. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray, Father, that your word and your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, Lord, and that you would fashion and shape our hope, that you would give us comfort. And, Lord, I pray for those who are in the middle of war right now, God, we lift them up to you. We pray for those who are uh, struggling and worried about their next, uh, next meal. They're worried about loved ones uh, living through the day or making it through the week. Lord, we, uh, we lift them up to you, God. And we ask in Jesus' name that they too would be comforted by these words, by these truths, Lord. Father, we, uh, we don't take anything for granted and we're so grateful, Lord. Thank you again for your grace in Jesus. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you track with the news, it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of things going on. Um, there's a widespread uh, evil that's taking place. Um, obviously, Russia invading Ukraine, food shortages, uh, inflation, terrorism continues, wars in the Middle East will go on and off. Um, there's still a group called Al-Qaeda continuing its campaign of worldwide terror. And if you just watch the Chicago Evening News, you know that there's uh, usually reports of murder, armed robbery, child abuse, and the like. Um, I brought with me a bunch of Voice of the Martyrs magazines today, and I, I don't know if you ever get this or subscribe to it, but I, I highly recommend it. It is um, uh, a way for you to keep in contact with the, um, uh, the, the persecuted church in all parts of the world. There's people who are being persecuted for their faith. 
And so you, you, it's, it's easy to really ask the question, you know, where is God in all this? Does he love me? Yesterday we had a fantastic uh, discussion with, uh, with a Jewish man in the mall about that. And uh, um, we had a chance to kind of talk to him. And the question he had was, where, why, I understand why God you know, allows evil in my life and bad things happen to me, but on the big scale, why, is God, why doesn't God stop Putin? Why doesn't God stop COVID? You know that, you know, and, and, I, and I, we were trying to hear his heart and understand where he was at, and we were connecting with him, and I said, you know, um, he, and he asked that question, and I was, uh, I was with our student intern, uh, Christian Welton, and so I just said, yeah, Christian, what do you think? <laughs> Let's ask him. <laughs> and Christian's really sharp. He, he, uh, he actually put it back on, uh, on, the, on the guy. He said, well, what do you think? And we asked the guy, so what do you think is, can change? What needs to change in order for change, lasting change to take place? And we got to the subject of changing the human heart. You know, what, how can you change the heart? And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a really good discussion because the gospel is one person at a time. And God's way of doing things is to change us from the inside out so that we, the church, we, his people, can be his hands and his feet and make a difference in the world and help uh, not eliminate, uh, but at least you know, fight the evil to overcome good with evil. And uh, I, think that's, uh, I think that's helpful uh, for us to know. Uh, in our text here, I want you guys to see this. God shows, uh, the, Paul shows, I'm sorry, that God is sovereign even over evil rulers and evil events. You know, one of the things that I, because I was, I was aware of this passage, and I was talking to this guy, and I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's been that way from the beginning of time. You know, and we went back to Old Testament history. You know, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, you've got Antiochus Epiphanes, you've got the Assyrian rulers. They have always, um, you know, every rulers and powers, man's nature is greedy. One of my favorite questions to ask uh, people in the mall is, what do you think is the basic problem in the world? What is it that is, you know, the, the, the issue with... with um, with us, if you could eliminate or eradicate or change one thing, and it always, almost always, once you get past politics or the current president, it, it, it always gets down to selfishness, greed. You know, once in a while we hear a idolatry. You know, uh, and the scripture answers that question that says sin. You know, sin is really the ultimate uh, thing. But um, uh, at the climax of history, the most powerful, hideous, evil ruler ever will gain a worldwide following. Paul shows that this is all part of God's prophetic plan. His point here is not to give us a timetable of end-time events. Okay, I'm not going to give you the timetable here. Rather, he wrote to comfort these pers persecuted new believers with the truth. Leon Morris writes this, Paul is convinced that all men and, ev and events are in the hand of God. He writes to assure them that whatever happens, God is over. That's what I want you to see this morning, okay? What we hope for shapes what we live for. What we hope for shapes what we live for. Let me give you the background on the Thessalonians. Thessalonia, uh, it's now a Thessaloniki. It's a city in Greece. It's one of the few cities that are still from the, that are mentioned in the Bible that are still there. And uh, it's a very beautiful, wealthy city now. But the church in Thess Thessal Thessalonica was um, in the early, in the first century, was persecuted. It, it dealt with a lot of issues. Um, they were facing a lot of suffering. 
And if you've ever read 1 Thessalonians, I don't know if you ever have, but it's just amazing because he talks about how they receive the gospel with joy and with power. And it says they turn from serving idols to serve the true and living God. And they were so excited about their faith, and Paul spent time with them, and he said, we, we loved you so much that we shared our lives with you. And he said he was encouraging them and comforting them. But it, they were being persecuted. They were being persecuted by other Jews. They were being persecuted by, by Gentiles, by the Roman uh, uh, emperor. And many of them were dying and being killed for their faith. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, he tells, hey, you know what? Those of you who have gone, those, those, those believers that have died, they're, they're going to live. They're going to live again. They're, you know, they're going to rise again. You know, this is not the end. By the way, I just want to encourage you to strongly consider uh, going with us to see the case for heaven. I don't know if any of you guys have read the book yet, but uh, by Lee Strobel, but this movie that we're going to go see. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. It's a, I've seen previews of the movie as well, and I've seen him, I've heard him talk about it. Um, and I, and if, you're, if you're a seeker this morning or if you're struggling with your faith, I just want to just lay the gauntlet down right now because the Apostle Paul did that. He said, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. It's futile. It's empty. So if there is no life after death, then we're just all here just doing something to make ourselves feel good. You know, we might as well just go and, and do yoga or go to the the Buffalo Creek Brewery, you know? Whatever makes you feel good, right? Yeah. I like that song that we keep singing. I'm glad we, I, they, we keep singing it every week. <laughs> uh, but there's a, there's a line in there, I'm not going to be formed by feelings. You know, we live in a culture that's all about feelings. And uh, the reality is um, that it's about, it's about God's truth. Amen? It's about God's truth. And so uh, I encourage you, the case for heaven, the case for, 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 uh, to go and, and, and invite somebody as well. What we hope for shapes what we live for. If, if our, our predominant hope this morning is material comfort, then that's how we're going to live, okay? And we're going we're gonna to make sure that our kids go to school and do all those things and seek that kingdom of man first, and this, the kingdom of God will often be maybe secondary. But Jesus said, seek first. He said, all these things that you struggle with, I keep going like this and like this because I want to show you something. Every once, in a, every, uh, once a year or two, I bring this out. Okay, this is called the future stick, okay? Uh, some people call it the future pole, all right? You could do this at home. Uh, you know how they say don't try this at home? Uh, any baseball players here? Anybody with good hand-eye coordination? Yeah. Uh, I would have somebody come up and do this, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to do it. I just want you guys to see this. It's kind of a cool illustration. I can do this all day when I'm looking at the top, but as soon as I look at the bottom, you can't do it. It's just a, a law of physics. When, you, when I stare at the bottom, I can't do it for more than 10 seconds. When I look at the top, I could do this all day. I could do bunny hops, you know, I could walk around with it, all right? Now, here's the question. Other than my hand and my brain, of course, what's my most important body part in balancing the stick? Yeah. Who controls what we focus on? Who controls what we focus on? We do. Who's going to decide what's most important? We will, okay? I don't know if you can see this, but it says future, the most. This says now, the moment, all right? Aren't we all tempted to only just live and focus on the moment? 
Isn't that kind of where it is? When I talk to students in schools with this, we talk about you know, peer pressure and feelings and risky choices. And in the moment, everybody's doing it, so I want to be like them. But that could mess up my future. We talk about goals. But I want to put a different spin on it this morning. What is ultimate? What is our ultimate future as believers? Yeah, it's the glory of Jesus Christ, heaven. So I'm going to put Jesus Christ, God's promises, and that which is eternal, okay? What should we be about as believers seeking his kingdom first? This is what the Thessalonian believers were about, sharing and living the gospel, showing truth, proclaiming the truth, and showing incredible grace and love. This is what it's all about, okay? But you and I live in the real world, right? And the real world that we live in has a lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of injustice, a lot of pain, okay? Now, I've got pain. i got problems. i got a lot of issues, right? The question is, again, what's my most important body part? My eyes. What am I going to focus on? That's why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. Yeah. These trials and tribulations that we are going through are forming for us, uh, are, are, are momentary compared to what God has for us. I share this with you because I think it's a great illustration because of, of the Thessalonian believers and really where we're going today. My big idea, and I think I'm going to hold this stick up here right now, just like my staff today, all right? My big idea this morning is, and I think it's straight from the text, we can have hope and comfort amidst persecution and worldwide evil because God is sovereign over all. And he will conquer evil in his time. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't want to put the word comfort. All week long, I had confidence. We could have confidence. We could have confidence. But Paul uses the word comfort. And the word he uses in this, in this passage, it's also the same word for encourage. You know? And I remember last week, the quote that stuck with me last week was you know, Bonhoeffer's quote. God, you know, we are to comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. So that word comfort is kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. But you know what? You and I, we're already comfortable. But if we were in Ukraine right now, or if we were in Nigeria, or if we were in Iran, we would not be comfortable, and we would need comfort. And these Thessalonians needed that comfort. And what, 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 what Paul is saying is, you know what? We can have hope, and we can have confidence, and we can have comfort because we know the character of God. God is sovereign over everything that's happening, all right? So you guys ready to dive into this? All right, let's do it. It's going to be, it's going to be heavy. I know the attention span will be challenged. All right, number verses 1 and 2. Let's do it. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Uh, that word coming is parousia. It's the word for the, the second coming of the Lord. And Paul uses it twice in these verses. He uses it five times in Thessalonians. Um, it seems to be that uh, he is using it as the second coming of Christ. Uh, there are different views about the, the coming of Christ. Uh, there are views that he's going to come in different parts. The pre-tribulal rapture, he's going to rapture the church. And then there's going to be a tribulation. And then he's going to come back again. From the text, it seems to me here that there's predominantly he's talking about one coming. Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. 
Uh, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord refers to God's intervention in history for judgment on his enemies and for deliverance and blessing for his people. It was a, a, it's a used over and over again in the Old Testament. And it's kind of one of those now and not yet type of fulfillments. You know, if you've ever taken a telescope over a set of mountains uh, or just a telescope and you look and there's mountains in the background, there's things you can see up close, but there's also things you can see in the background. A lot of prophecies in the Old Testament are like that. There's a now and a not yet fulfillment. And so the day of the Lord, uh, sometimes these cataclysmic days of judgment found partial fulfillment when God would wipe out Israel's enemies and deliver his people from a military threat. But all these little events that happened in history were po are pointing to the one event that's going to be culminated when God judge, God's judgment, uh, when Christ comes back, and salvation in the first and second comings of Jesus. The final day of the Lord uh, begins with the tribulation and concludes with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's not one literal day, but it's a period of time. And uh, here's the problem. They thought they were in it. Now, why do they think they're in it? Because the Roman emperor is killing Christians, and it would seem to be that this, you know, Paul had talked to them. Look at verse, um, let's look at the next verse here. No, let's not look at the next verse. Let's look at Matthew 24. Let me show you. I want to show you guys there's a parallel between um, the things he says in Thessalonians and the same things that Jesus said. Matthew 24, he said, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Same word. They're alarmed. He's, and Jesus is saying, no, see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of what? Birth pains, yeah. Okay, they're the beginning. They're not the end. It hasn't happened yet, all right? Although there has always been evil in the world, just before Christ returns, it will grow even worse. Now, I don't know about you, but I went through different stages in my Christian life with the end times. Um, when, I was, when I came to Christ really fully when I was 17, 18, uh, and I went to Bible school, I, and, and at that time, you know, you had a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East. There's always something going on in the Middle East, but we thought, oh, my gosh, this could be it. But then when I studied Scripture and it said, ah, Rome, you know, European Union, uh, 10 hills in Europe, I'm like, oh, no, I don't see that happening. And then I would read stories about, you know, the, the, some guy setting himself up to worship, everybody, everybody to worship him, and I'm like, ah, uh, so what happened was I kind of faded a little bit, especially in the last, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And, and I, my hope was still in Christ to come back, but I, I didn't really think, you know, ah, it's definitely not going to come in my lifetime, you know. And um, I don't know about you, but after watching what has happened to everybody in the last two years in our world, I have seen, wow, things can change really quickly. People can be motivated by fear. Can be, people can be manipulated um, there is uh, many people believe, and I, I do as well, that there's a group of people, powerful people in the world, who want to move us towards a one-world government, towards globalism, towards this global reset. I, I do believe that there is people out there that want to do it. I don't know if God's going to hold it back. Um, I do know that we have all the technology now with the chips and everything for all the things that the, the book of Revelation talks about to easily take place. 
You know, you know the, the second coming, it says every eye will see him. Well, how could the India, how can people in India see him and then us see him? And, uh, you know, well, welcome to the, the world that we have today with technology, you know. So there's so many things, especially after the last two years, that make me say, wow, you know what, this could be it. And whether it is or not, this passage is saying, you know what, in the midst of worldwide evil and persecutions, I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to know what the character of God is. And no matter how bad things get, he is sovereign and he is in control. Let's continue going through this passage. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way. Again, same words as Jesus. Do you see this? For that day, the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. In verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was, with, I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, this is something that we don't have. We don't have privy to what Paul told them. And somehow, in God's providence, and I do believe God is providentially and sovereign over the writing of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, he chose not to give us the answers to some of this stuff. So some of these things today, you know, no one has been able to answer. What is the restrainer, you know? Um, uh, what exactly or when will the apostasy happen? We don't know. But Paul talked to them. Look at verse 6. He says, and you know, apparently the Thessalonian believers, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Okay, so three things will happen before Christ's second coming. Number one, there will be an unprecedented apostasy will occur. Number two, the restrainer will be removed. Number three, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Let's walk through each of these. Are you ready? Number one, an unprecedented apostasy. Paul explains in verse three that the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy refers to a falling away by those who formerly professed Christ. Okay, so this is not like just a worldwide deception of people who are already deceived. You know, the scripture says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. That's why we pray for a removing of the veil. Had a chance to be at uh, Rock of Israel Church just down here yesterday. They had a special guest speaker. They had the Israel guys come, and somebody in our congregation uh, actually uh, had, a chance, had a part in putting that together. And so it was wonderful to meet our brothers and sisters in Christ, our Jewish Messianic Jews who believe in Jesus. And, and um, uh, one of the things that, he, they, that the Israel guys talked about is, is that they are working in Orthodox Jewish communities and just loving them and serving them. And um, they're praying that the veil will be lifted from their eyes. He said these Orthodox Jews are so close. They know the Old Testament. They know Yahweh. And they're so close to just making that connection to Jesus. And it's just like there's a blindness that exists there. Okay. Um, but this, this blindness, this, uh, this apostasy is not the blindness that keeps people from seeing Christ. These are people in the church. Okay. Um, these are people in the church. And uh, there's, there's false teachers that are teaching them, they're, they're leading them astray. There were false teachers in the first century. Paul is saying that uh, the spirit of lawlessness is already working deception through false teachers. 
And all false teachers are preparing the way for the grand appearance of the man of lawlessness himself. Uh, Jesus explained that false teaching would, would happen before his return. Uh, look, at, look at verse, uh, I'm going to go back to Matthew 24. He says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, I know I'm reading Scripture today, and I'm coming at you pretty quickly, but don't, don't skip this. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. We are going to be hated by all nations because of who? Because of him, because of our connection to Jesus. Well, I thought Jesus was all about love and sacrifice. He was. He is. <laughs> and that's what he came to do. He came to give his life for you and I. And he doesn't force himself on anyone. He won't force himself on you. But what did they do to him when he came with love and serving? Well, he said he was God, and then they crucified him. And they hated him because he spoke the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except but by me. Look at verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and they will deceive many people. Is this happening today? Has it always been happening? Well, apparently, there's an unprecedented apostasy that's going to take place. Let me just say this. There's been a huge movement in Christendom in America called deconstructionism. And many people, many Christian artists in, in music, people who are involved, I've heard of even pastors who are just leaving the faith. And they're calling, and, and, and Twitter, you can find these things where people like deconstruct the Christian faith. If you want to have some fun, follow Tim Keller on Twitter. Tim Keller's a fantastic pastor and author, but he's always interacting with people on Twitter who don't believe in him. <laughs> and I know Twitter is not the best place to have social discourse, probably not even a good place, but, but you just see the, the ongoing reality of people um, and just being deceived, and a lot of people just falling away. Look at verse 12. This, this has always literally uh, actually caused me to shiver, no pun intended. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's why, you know, when Pastor Dell was talking about when we go out and we serve people with no strings attached, we're kind of like, what? Really? Nobody does that. But because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold. But I love verse 13 and 14. They're so encouraging. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end. The apostasy is going to happen to people who were in the faith, maybe. They were in the church, but they fall away because they never really were children of God. I think scripture really is very clear about eternal security. Once you're truly a, a child of God, you can't lose that because you didn't do it to yourself. He, you were born again through the Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, then you can't undo that. But what he's saying is that there's a lot of people that are going to be in the church that claim to be part of the church but that are not. Uh, we'll look at a verse later on on that from 1 John. But the, the one who stands firm to the end, one of the proofs that you're a Christian, a true Christian, is perseverance perseverance of the saints. Verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I've clung to this verse as a, as a verse for me to be like, okay, how are we doing with this? Are there still unreached people groups in the world that have not heard the gospel? There are. And that's why we need people to do missions. That's why we need to be mission-oriented as a church. We need, to, you know, we need to go places. 
What's the application here? Application for them and, and for us is we need to be on guard at all times against false, uh, against false teaching. Um, and uh, Satan, has, Satan has two ways he attacks believers predominantly. One is uh, the frontal attack of persecution, okay, uh, and all the difficulties and the trials that he puts in your way. But the second one is through the lies, through false teaching and false teachers in an attempt to unsettle believers and to mess with us. Sound doctrine is essential for peace and steadfastness. Being deceived by false teaching leads to anxiety. What's one of the biggest problems in our culture today? Anxiety, depression, hopelessness, despair. Looking at the bottom of the stick and saying, you know what, there's nothing else. This life is all there is. I mentioned the gentleman that I that, uh, talked about yesterday, yesterday that said, um, life is short, appreciate what you have. So we came back with a question. We said, you know, life is short. Um, do you think there's a life after this life? He's like, no. Now, he told us that he had gone to Catholic school for eight years. And his conclusion was that if you live and you believe that stuff, like there is an afterlife, it's going to stifle your life down here. You know, to that, Christian responded, no, it's not. Uh, but uh, his, his kids came, and our, our conversation actually ended shortly after that. But it's, it was, um, you know, we try to plant seeds. But uh, that YOLO, you only live once, that, 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 that idea. But the idea that if you're heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good is actually the opposite of Scripture. If we know Christ is, is true and that he's coming again, that motivates us to, to live out his kingdom here on earth to be his servants, to love other people, and to show grace. So um, the apostasy will happen. Number two, the restrainer will be removed. Uh, I already said this, but the problem here is that the Thessalonians know who he is, but we don't. <laughs> now, in, the, in verse 6, it's a neuter for the restrainer, it's, but in verse 7, it's a masculine. Uh, I've always, uh, when I was in Bible school, I kind of came to the conclusion that it was the Holy Spirit, but um, it doesn't seem like, uh, I'm leaning now towards uh, an angel, uh, or a messenger of God, as I, as I was studying this this week. Uh, all, all different types of uh, things have been offered. The civil government. What is res the question is this. What is restraining evil so much now that the, that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, cannot step in and take over and that this world is not completely overrun? What is holding it back? So some people have said it's the civil government. Some people think it's the Jewish state. Some people think it's the church. But most don't. Even those who believe in a pre-trib rapture don't believe it's the church because they think Paul would have said it very clearly because uh, he's talking to the church. Um, the reason why I lean towards the messenger, uh, towards an angelic messenger, because Daniel 10 and 11 talk about that. They talk about how angels restrain one another and they restrain good and evil. And I don't know if you've ever read that passage in Daniel 10 where Daniel's fasting and praying for the Israel, Israelites and for the country of Israel for 21 days. And then all of a sudden, the angel, Mark, I think it's Michael, the archangel, appears to him and says, I'm sorry that I couldn't make it to you sooner because I was detained by the prince of Persia. And you're like, what the heck is happening here? You know? Well, what's happening is, is what Paul talked about in Ephesians 6. We're in a spiritual battle. There's principalities. There's rulers. It's not. What you see manifested in the natural realm is often first being decreed or battled upon in the spiritual realm. And I know for some of you with a secular worldview and a, you know, a naturalistic worldview, this might be all very like, whoa, where, is it, where are you guys going with this? And, uh, but that's why I like 
this passage, because this passage is very clear in telling us that we should not make supernatural experiences the foundation of our faith. Paul calls, it, calls them back to the Word and to Christ, okay? The Word of God and to Christ. And we live in a, in a world. See, back then, they also had people doing, you know, saying, hey, this, hey, this, hey, that. And today, we can go on YouTube, and you can find, you know, the prophets and the prophetesses, you know, and they're all just saying this, they're saying that. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but you know what? Be careful, because you want to test that against the, the Word of God. You know, everybody's got an opinion about the conspiracy theories, you know. Um, and you, gotta, you, want, you want to bring it back to God's Word. Um, so... Whatever it is, what we can know from this text, and this is what I want you to see, God sovereignly determines when this restrainer is removed so that the man of lawlessness will be revealed. He's going to determine it. And again, it goes back to God being in control. And let me just say this, because I know a lot of you struggle with this issue. Biblical prophecy is not a matter of God merely foreseeing what will happen. But when you read these texts, it's rather God is predetermining what will happen. He said that this is going to happen. It's not like he's just looking ahead. He's in control here. And yet sinners aren't robots. They are accountable for their sin. Once the restrainer is removed, the other factor in the coming of the day of the Lord will take place. And that's the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So the, the unprecedented apostasy has got to happen first. Then the restrainer will be removed. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Who is this guy? Well, it says he's the man of sin, or the man of means that characterized by lawlessness. He throws off all regards for God's moral standards. If you look at the, the, the book of Daniel and Revelation, it seems like he comes to, to rise in some type of power, and he seems to be a person of peace uh, and makes treaties uh, for the first three years, and then in the second uh, three and a half years, it seems like he turns his, to his true colors. Um, it says he comes by power of, of the activity of Satan. If you look at verse 10, he's given the ability to do all these miracles, false signs and wonders. And that false signs and wonders, you know, I used to be a magician when I was younger, and I used to do magic. I still love the art of magic. But magic is just that. It's just fake, and it's making it appear real. The scripture here is saying that he's going to do real miracles. The reason why they're false is they're pointing to falsehood. They're pointing to a false god. But he's going to do real signs and wonders. And that's why so many in the church are going to be like, wow, this is the real thing. Now, what's his big thing? What's his, what's his lie from the beginning always been? You know, it says he's going to ask everybody to worship him. Well, is that anything new? If he's coming by the power of Satan, what's Satan's lie from back in Genesis 3? Yeah, you will be God's. <laughs> you, you, you. God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows that when you do it, you'll become like him. You don't need God to define good and evil. That's the same lie that he used in the Old Testament. It's the same lie he kind of used basically with Jesus. Jesus, if you are God, if you're the son of God, then just command those stones to become bread. You don't need to go to the cross. Throw yourself down. Let everybody worship you. And the same message here in the New Testament and today is you do you, baby. You do you. You are your own God. You define good and evil. There is no right or wrong. You're in charge. Do what thou wilt. It's interesting. We're going to get to this, but, and maybe we need to get to it now very shortly, but if you look at verses 10 to 12, he talks about what we love. And he says the difference between believers and unbelievers really is there's a love for the truth in a believer. 
But when you refuse the love of the truth and you choose the pleasures of unrighteousness, you're going right down Satan's path. One of the uh, illustrations that I often do with students is, is I'll take out a dollar bill and I'll offer it to them. And I actually do this in public schools. And they're like, oh, cool, yeah, you do want it? Yeah, here it is. And they come and they take it. <laughs> is this very helpful? Now, the kids are always like, yeah, I want it. I want it. Yeah, I could use this. It's, a, it's 50 cents, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, the, the teenage brains, yeah. They're not here, so we can talk about them. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, no, it's not useful at all, okay, especially about the other half, obviously. This is useless. But that's the point. Half-truths are most deceptive. The most deceptive lies are not full-out lies that you're like, no, there's no way I'm going to believe that. They're half-truths. They're with truths mixed in, okay? Yeah, you can define good and evil for yourself. Yeah, you know what? When you sin, nothing's going to happen. Look, I don't see any lightning strike. Where is God? God's not doing anything today. Nothing's going to happen. God doesn't intervene. They're half-truths, you know? Sex will strengthen my dating relationship if I'm dating. That's a half-truth, okay? Yeah. It's actually a lie. It actually will dissolve the relationship. In the moment, it will. Sin is fun. That's a half-truth. In the moment, in the moment, it's fun, yeah. But the wages of sin is what? It's death, yeah. It leads to destruction. So beware of half-truths. Beware of half-truths that are deceptive lies. That's what Satan uses here, and the man of lawlessness will use it, okay? All right, we need to get moving here. How are we doing? All right, we're doing pretty good. We'll be here to get out of here by 1.15, hopefully. Um, uh, there's a debate about what the temple is. Um, some people think it's a literal temple that's going to be rebuilt. Uh, that depends on your eschatology and how you believe. Eschatology is a big word for... Um, Eschatol and beans, an Italian dish that my family used to make. No, eschatology is the, is the study of end time events. And uh, it's, uh, there's different views on this. Um, I personally um, don't think it's literal. I think it's, uh, I think it's because he uses temple of God, that phrase, uh, many, most of the time, almost all the time, to refer to the church or to Christ. And uh, so I don't believe it's literal. I, I think it's uh, more just saying that he's going to be setting himself up. Now, it's, it may be also a now and a not yet. Look at tw number 20, uh, Matthew 24, 15. Those of, who, those of you who believe that it is literal, you might like this verse. So when you see standing in the holy place, this is, this is after Jesus had just said what I just read about him earlier. He says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Well, again, the now and the not yet is in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. And Antiochus Epiphanes or whoever it was, you know, may have, came in and, and, and destroyed the temple and massacred the temple and then the Romans as well. But now there's no temple. And so, you know, the idea of there being a temple or not is not the, the main issue. The main issue here is that he wants people to worship him. And again, uh, years ago, I would have thought, no, there's no way we could do that. But now, in our narcissistic culture, you know, the word narcissism wasn't even a word 25, years, 25, 30 years ago. I mean, we did use it, but you never use it to describe somebody. Today, in all the TV shows and all these books, you know, what if, how do you deal with them when you're going out or married to a narcissist? Uh, we have a, just a fashion, fascination with love of self. Oh, Christ, be magnified in me. Why? Because we tend to magnify ourselves. 
Um, and so he, that's what he's going to do. He's going to magnify himself. But just when things are at their worst, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Isn't that powerful? You know, we always think it's going to be a big battle, a nail-biting battle, you know, the battle of Armageddon. Da -da -da -da, you know, who's winning? It's like a movie, you know. No. With the breath of his mouth. Boom. And what's the breath of his mouth represent? The spoken word. The word of God. The word of Jesus. Uh, I put down this. In God's sovereign timetable, Jesus Christ will return, slay the man of lawlessness, and judge all who were deceived by him. Two things stand out. Although God is apart from all evil, he sovereignly uses evildoers for his predetermined purposes. He did that throughout the Old, Old Testament, if you read it. He used evil rulers for his purposes. Was he telling them to do evil directly? No, but he allowed even Satan to incite David to, 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 to take a census. It's clear here that God is not reacting to the evil ruler who momentarily has gained the upper hand. Leon Morris again says this, throughout this whole passage, the thought of God's sovereignty is dominant. God is in control of the whole process. In his time, he allows the man of lawlessness to come on the seat and deceive those who did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. But also in his time, Christ appears slaying the lawless one and judging all who did not believe the truth. No one can ultimately thwart God's sovereign will. God uses even the powers of Satan to accomplish his purposes. Judas Iscariot, if you need an example. So when Christ returns, he will effortlessly slay the most powerful ruler. Um, let me give you a, just a glimpse of this. Look at Revelation 19 for a moment. Revelation 19. I'm going to read. I'm gonna, it's going to be up on your screen, but if you want to look in your own sword, go ahead, your own Bible, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, John says this, I saw heaven standing open, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him so that no one, that, that no one knows but he himself. So here's this Jesus coming back again. And he's coming back not just as the Savior and as the Lamb, the slain Lamb, but he's coming back as a judge. But look at verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Well, whose blood is that? Is it the blood of the saints that were martyred? Is it his blood? We know that throughout the book of Revelation, he's he, the, the idea of the slain Lamb. How did Jesus defeat evil? Did he do it by just saying, this is going to be my way. No, he came. The way he defeated evil and transformed our hearts was he came as a sacrificial lamb to die for our sin. You know, this morning we had something happen here that never has happened, I don't think, since I've been here, it, you know, in a worship service. They forgot to light the cross. Yeah. I don't know if Dan Triner's watching this today, but Dan used to always come in for, and say, hey, make sure you light the cross. That's the whole point. <laughs> you know? But uh, It's true. You know, but uh, it's lit up. The whole message of the gospel is the reason we can have, how did Jesus make a way for us to have a relationship with him through the cross? And how does he defeat evil? At the cross, he disarmed the rulers of the universe. He died. His death and his resurrection 
overcame evil. Let's keep going here. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the what? The word of God. The armies of heaven were, were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What? Yeah, the sword is his spoken word. He's going to destroy the lawless one with his word. It won't be a nail-biting battle. <laughs> Jesus will win effortlessly and decisively. That's why I want to repeat our big idea this morning. We can have hope and confidence amidst persecution and worldwide evil because God is sovereign over all and he will conquer evil in his time. Don't miss the overall picture. Jesus is coming back bodily in power and glory and when he comes, he's going to win big time. Now what's Paul's concern though? The heart of God and the Spirit of God is the concern for those of us to believe. And so look at uh, verses 10 through 12, or 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I just want you to see that, you know, we said what you hope for shapes what you live for. Well, there's another way of putting it, too, is what we love shapes what we decide to choose and do. Uh, Augustine said, love God and do as you please. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Remember that, when they tried to trick him? All right, I've done this before, and sometimes I've had some sad results, but I'm going to do it again. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus said that we should all follow and know and do? Love the Lord your God. Sometimes people say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second one, okay? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. When it all comes down to it, what does God want with us? He wants a love relationship. That's why he gives free will. That's why he allows evil to take place, because he doesn't want robots. He wants us to choose him. But I want you to see here what, what Paul is saying. Why do some people choose to not believe? It's not because they haven't seen enough evidence. It's not because the wrath of God is not punishing them. It's because in this passage, he focuses on they refuse to love the truth and they take pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, they're choosing one pleasure over another. And what Paul is wanting us to know is, you know what? The greatest pleasure you can enjoy is a love relationship with the one who created you, the one who died for you, the one who took a billion steps to, to come down to earth and to be not only your savior and your Lord, but your best friend. And, and, and if, you could re if, we, if you and I could realize how good it is to enjoy and know God and love him, uh, will it take away our temptation to sin? No, but it will make it a lot less. And I think what happens is, is we get into this relationship with God where it's a have to, and we lose sight of who he is, his character, and then what happens is we start 
being gravitated more towards the pleasures of unrighteousness. And we all are. I don't stand up here telling you, say, hey, I don't take pleasure in sin. Yeah, I do. There's a part of me that does. And that's why the only way God could save us was to change us from the inside out so that I actually love him and know him and experience him. Because if it was just a battle between good and evil, some of you might be seeing the Christian life like that. Oh, yeah, I got a devil, I, a devil on my shoulder and I got the angel on my shoulder. Who do I listen to? You know, the classic, you know, illustration. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, Jesus came and he took what you and I deserve. We, he died for us so that we can know him. And, so, and, and he came to, to, to the thing that really keeps us from knowing him is our pride and our selfishness and our sin. And he took it on, he took the, 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 the wrath that we deserve on himself so that we would just put our faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, what does he do? He gives us a new life. Uh, I think one of our staff members had a birthday yesterday. I won't embarrass him, but uh, uh, lately for people's birthdays, I've been sending Ephesians 2.10. I love that verse. We are God's workmanship. It's literally the word means masterpiece. We are God's, he's speaking to Christian believers. He says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The good works, the, the passion to do good comes from what God has done inside us through the gospel. The Thessalonian believers, they had gotten that. They were so excited about that. But their outward circumstances were persecution. And then somebody comes along and says, yeah, it's over, dude. The day of the Lord has already come. And, they, and in chapter 3, they start, they start uh, quitting their jobs. They're like, oh, it's over. Okay, so we're just going to live for Jesus. And, it's gonna, you know, and Paul says, no, 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 you need to keep working. You need to keep doing the, seek, seek first the kingdom. But, you know, be faithful. Don't give up. Let's wrap up here. Let's wrap up with the rest of the passage. And then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go somewhere. Where are we going to go? Go for lunch? All right. Here we go. Uh, verses 13 to 15. I'm not preaching another sermon. Don't worry. People on the, on the slides, you, you guys are great too. Thank you. Love you. Um, look at what it says. But, and this is his conclusion. He says, he talks about the people who are refusing to love the truth and, 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 and taking pleasure in right. But then he says, not you, but you. You ought always to give thanks to God for you. It's not a have to. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. I want to give, I'm going to give thanks because of all that God's done. Brothers beloved by the Lord, you are loved because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved in the past through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. How did you get saved? By the Holy Spirit changing you to be, and from the inside out to become more like Jesus. And how did that happen? Because you believed in the truth. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What God has prepared, no, one, no, eye, no, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So then, what's the point? Brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Hold firm, he says. We can stand firm and not fall away in trials if we embrace God's perspective towards eternity and time. And, number, and the last thing is the need during trials and times of spiritual deception is to stand firm and hold firm to the word of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your faith in the promises of God. Let me close with this story. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever heard of the country of Burma? 
It's one of the more unreached people groups in unreached countries, but it was. And now there's a, there's a, there's a growing church there that is growing in Christ. And many people attribute it to the missionary that went there many years ago, Adoranam Judson. Adoranam Judson. Uh, he endured horrific trials in his labors to take the gospel to Burma. He lost two wives and several children. He was in prison for a year in a horrible death prison. He saw little response to the gospel while he was there in the moment. But he said this, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated suffering. He knew that there was a, a glory that far awaited. We may never, he said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. We may never suffer as much as Judson did, but whatever our trials, we can stand firm if we keep God's perspective with regards to eternity and time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you do not force people to believe in you, but that you came to show us how much you love us at the cross. Lord, I pray that we would cling to the old rugged cross as a reminder when the evil and the injustice and the pain of life is around us, Lord. We serve a God that has taken that upon himself and has suffered uh, just like we, even more so than we will ever suffer. And he suffered for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, we would keep our eyes on you today and our hope and our comfort would come from you. In Christ's name we pray.